It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 502 of Lockdown Raptors for Tuesday. Yeah, it's Tuesday, April 30th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. Find the show at Lockdown Raptors. You can find links to every single episode of the podcast. Of course, please make sure you're checking out the Lockdown Podcast Network as well. Team focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. We've got Lockdown Fantasy Basketball if you're playing daily throughout the uh, playoffs here. We've got Locked on NBA going deep on the night's games every single day of the week with a bunch of different hosts from across the network chipping in there. Weekly contributions from Ben Golliver and Sam Amick and Trevor Booker as well chipping in there. Uh, so make sure you're checking it all out on the Locked on Podcast Network. Subscribe, rate, review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and Himalaya. If you're in the market for a new podcast app, Himalaya is the one to try out. It's great for personalizing your own podcast playlists and all that other good stuff that you love from a podcast app. So Download it if you are in the market for something new. All right, on today's show, the Raptors lost a game. Game two to the Sixers, their first loss in the playoffs since game one against the Orlando Magic, 94-89. And it's just me going solo here. I'm going to break down the loss. We'll talk about the good, the bad, and some potential fixes to the bad. Um, and that'll be pretty much the show. I guess let's start with the bad. And we'll work our way to the good in segment two, and then we can address some solutions at the end. Um, Because, yeah, starting with the bad, we'll get it out of the way. Uh, This was not a great game for the Raptors. In particular, the first half sucked a whole lot of ass, especially on offense. And before we start criticizing things the Raptors did, we should definitely point out that Brett Brown did a hell of a job coaching this game and did a fantastic job with just one day of downtime in between, making a ton of you know, essentially wholesale adjustments to what the Sixers were going to do to try to stop the Raptors, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. They they really came out with a sound and sort of rebranded game plan that really threw the Raptors off early in the first half, Um, actually for the entirety of the first half, really, and a lot of it was just like changing the matchups. There was some data on game one 
that Ben Simmons was the guy you probably wanted on Kawhi Leonard. He had the best success against him, even though Leonard didn't really get slowed down by anyone all that much. Uh, Relatively speaking, Simmons was the best guy. And just like looking at how the length and the size mismatch that the, the, that, that, that Kawhi had on Jimmy Butler, Simmons made a lot of sense as like their most stout perimeter defender who also has the size and length to kind of match up with Kawhi. Um, so Simmons was on Kawhi pretty much the entire night. Joel Embiid moved on to Pascal Siakam after Siakam went off in game one against mostly Tobias Harris. And then Harris got the assignment of Marcus Saul. So that was tricky and a really smart move because there are a few things that that does. I mean, it looked pretty good early on. I think like the second possession of the game or something, Siakam drives on Embiid, spins him out of the shoes, and it's like, okay, maybe this is going to be fine and the Raptors are going to get away with that. But with that matchup, Siakam was forced into a lot of contested like nine-foot floaters that are shots that he typically has the touch to hit. Like, I mean, he's gone entire stretches of seasons where he'll hit every single floater, but under that duress with Joel Embiid closing out on you, that becomes a little bit more difficult. There's so many bodies and arms just kind of poking in, and, you know, the, the, the Sixers did a really good job of sending help all over the place, both to Kawhi and Siakam in this game whenever they got close to the basket, and it wasn't just Embiid having to deal with Siakam most of the time. And I, I thought Embiid did a really nice job, and you know, we'll get to Embiid's performance overall in this game a little later as part of the good, but uh, his performance defensively against Siakam, he didn't really get too victimized. I mean, Siakam missed most of his threes. He was two of seven, uh, despite hitting a really huge, big, bald one late in the game. Um, and, you know, had Siakam had a better night from three, maybe that would have forced the Sixers' hand a little bit and forced Embiid to have to come out a little bit more, and that's where you can kind of open them up. But he was pretty content to sort of leave Siakam out there. Siakam attempted seven threes, which I think is a function of and be just kind of being okay to lay back and the Raptors really made this a game about having Kawhi Leonard and to a lesser extent Kyle Lowry be the ones that had to beat them without any sort of supplementary help from anyone else you know Marcus Saul with Tobias Harris on him in theory that would be a place where you can kind of work a mismatch right Harris is not a good defender Gasol has like four or five inches on him and like probably 50 pounds he's an enormous guy but in the trade to get Gasol the one element the Raptors really gave up was a go-to post scorer, right? You know, Gasol has been really good as a three-point shooter so far as a Raptor. Obviously, his defense is essential, and his passing has kind of greased the wheels for everything the Raptors have done offensively and made them into this, like, monstrous three-point shooting team. But he's not the same kind of guy that you can just throw it to and have go get a bucket. And that's the trade-off you make. You have to trade something to get something. And the Raptors, I guess, felt as though with the development of Siakam and Leonard um, that they were going to have enough sort of go-to offense to be able to part with Jonas Valanciunas. And I still agree with the trade entirely. It doesn't change based on one game. But you can see exactly what Brett Brown's thinking was putting Harris on Gasol. He's not a guy who you can just, like, throw it to and have him go post up a dude and get buckets. And if that's the case... You're you're living with that if you're if you're the Sixers. If Gasol is going to beat you with a bunch of post ups, those are twos. Those are twos you're working hard to get, and those are twos that aren't involving Siakam and, and Kawhi. Um, and we'll get to sort of how the Raptors countered that a little bit in the second half. But for the first half, it, that was just they didn't even really try to go to that because that's not really something the Raptors want to do. They don't want to post up Marcus Gasol. That's just not how they want to go about their business. And that you know Harris was kind of untested in that regard in the first half. Um, and the, the thing that I kind of thought about the first half was that the Raptors just really kind of got stuck trying to hunt mismatches. They were kind of thrown off by the different 
defensive assignments. And I think they were really, really trying to search for like J.J. Redick and, and Tobias Harris anytime they could, but they weren't doing it to great effect. And they were also doing it when Greg Monroe was in place of um, Joel Embiid when he would come out for his regular sub patterns. And, you know, there were a few instances of Kyle Lowry just like 10 second stare down uh, in ISO of Greg Monroe. And it's like, that that's, that's fine and good. And maybe you can get around him. But the Sixers were so good at sending help that I think the those just were kind of wasted possessions. They got away from what makes the Raptors really good. It's the constant motion for them. It's the cutting. It's giving it to Gasol and having him work from the post. It's having, you know, Kawhi just sort of be a bear and, and take it wherever he wants. And they were kind of getting away from that and abandoning sort of their free-flowing style that they've kind of mastered over the last few weeks here. And it was a lot of just like slow possessions, trying to find and probe for a matchup disadvantage. And the Sixers just didn't really give them much. And, you know, in fairness, the Raptors missed a lot of shots, too. They were awful from three in the first half. They were three of 15. They were 10 of 37 on the night as well, which is not ideal. Danny Green was just one of six from deep. That's very bad. And when you're not getting good three-point shooting performances from anybody, I mean, the best guy on the night was Kyle Lowry at two of six. Um, other than that, everyone was sub 30%. You know, Leonard was three of 10. I believe he was 0 of 6 on possessions where Simmons guarded him and he took a 3. You could see that you know Simmons was not giving Leonard that little inch of space that he typically needs at the top of the key to pull up for 3. Um, and you know he got burned on that. And so the way the Raptors just were kind of thrown off from Siakam to, to Leonard, uh, it just it really, really messed with everything they were trying to do. And it really slowed down the offense. And, you know, Brett Brown made the point after the game that even with all the turnovers the Sixers were committing, I think they committed 10 in the first quarter or in the first half, um, eight in the second quarter alone, if uh, Brett Brown's math is to be believed. But um, you know, the fact that the Raptors only put up 18 points off those turnovers in the first half and had 38 points in total uh, in, in the entire half, you know, more than half their points coming off those transition opportunities, like that is, that's not good. Like you can't, the half court offense cannot be giving you 20 points in a half. It, it's got to be better than that. And I think the Raptors really kind of abandoned what they were really good at in that first half. Some other stuff that was bad before we get into how they countered a little bit. Um, mostly the rotation. I mean, Nick Nurse really, I thought, dropped the ball in this game with his rotations. And it's getting a little concerning. I still am going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I understand that after a win, it's kind of hard to abandon everything that was good for you in game one. Um, because, you know, they didn't get burned when, when, when Abaka was out there against Embiid. He talked after game one about Abaka earning the opportunity to guard Embiid. And while I understand the, the decision to ride with it in game two... I think it may have reached its sort of logical conclusion in game two where the rotations really came back to bite the Raptors here. Um, you know, it wasn't just the Gasol not matching with Embiid's minutes. And that was, for me, a bigger concern in the first half. The first half was really ugly. And Embiid, while he didn't have a great game, whenever he's out there and Ibaka's there, it just kind of compromises the the integrity of the entire defense, right? Because you have to send Ibaka extra help. You know, Embiid did a good job of finding guys when he got doubled. He, you know, he would do that sort of little thing where he'd try to post up into the middle. He'd kind of get walled off around the, 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 three, the, free, the free throw line and he would kick it out to Jimmy Butler or something for three. And I, that was re really effective. And, and it came back to burn them later in the game too when Butler hit a huge three in crunch time as the Raptors were trying to come back. Um, but so I didn't like not matching Gasol with Embiid in the first half. And again, I get it. It's difficult. The Sixers run a weird rotation, but you have to counter that because the Sixers are trying to manufacture an edge where they bring their starters in at unorthodox times at the end of the first or start of the second quarter. 
and they're trying to take advantage of your of your if your your lineups out there and nurse can't just sit there and take it and say no we're good like he's got to respond to that and the whole thing with nick nurse all season long was this dude's not going to be goaded into you know rotation rigidity he's going to be flexible he's going to change things up and he didn't do that in game games one or two and he didn't get burned in game one and even then you know mb didn't kill abaka but again it just kind of the whole thing falls apart um and joe uh, Joe wolf on our pal from the score tweeted out the the screenshot today uh, in 36 minutes with Marcus on the court and Joel Embiid on the court as well, the Sixers have a negative 28.4 net rating and 86.5 offensive rating, and they're 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 miserable. The 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 flip side of that is when Gasol's off the court and Embiid's on the court. 26 minutes played, 114.5 offensive rating, 64.8 defensive rating, 49.7 net rating. Like they are absolutely torching the Raptors in those minutes, and I get it. There's there's a balance there because in the second half I kind of agreed with Nick Nurse's decision not to switch uh, Ibaka in for Gasol in that first part of the first uh, of the second of the third quarter. Sorry, you know I think Embiid came out with like 7:20 to play in the third quarter, and that was really the time where the Raptors for the first time all night had found some offensive flow, and Gasol was a big part of that. They were posting him up, him and Kawhi were running some actions together. He just hit Kawhi on a cut down the lane, and it was like, okay, things are coming together here, and Gasol is a big part of it. I understood in that situation not wanting to pull Gasol because it felt like the offense was more of a priority than the defense. But um, you know, overall, I still think you can't be having. Mark, uh, Serge Ibaka playing 26 minutes against Embiid with you know Gasol only playing 36. That has to at least, even if there's going to be sometimes, like you can't avoid it all the time. I don't think, um, you know, even if there's going to be sometimes we get caught off guard just by the rotations or whatever, um, and and Brett Brown maybe sort of springing an attack on you where it's like, oh yeah, I'm only going to sit Embiid here for two minutes. You get Gasol out and you got to sort of deal with a couple of possessions here and there. Fine, that's cool. But overall, like Nurse has to be way more diligent when it comes to matching up his best post defender with their best post player, and you know it just it's it's really really important that they do that. Um, so some other stuff in this game that was bad, I, I would say. Rotation-wise speaking, I mean, there were just some really bad bench looks that came out at weird times of the game. The four-man bench unit that played, I believe, in the end of the third quarter, start of the fourth, when Jody Meeks came out. Jody Meeks played a minute 30 in this game. It was a miserable minute 30. This was right near the end of the third quarter. He had a turnover. He missed a wide-open three. He like The turnover was just egregious. There was a wide-open Fred Van Vliet in the corner, and he just duffed the dribble and, and gave it up, and that could have been a big opportunity. The Raptors, instead of finishing off a really strong third quarter, kind of you know drifted near the end of the quarter and we're down six going into the fourth when they could have been down like two or three or maybe even tied based on how um they'd played in that quarter and just that lineup just kind of zapped any energy that was in the building because there's just no creation there fred van vliet was really bad once again 18 minutes 0 of two from the field he had no assists four boards like he is an active negative right now whenever he's out there and it's because he's not playing with guys you know, off of which he can just kind of hang off the ball. He has to be, or he's being, you know, thrust into being the ball handler a lot of the times. And this has been a problem all season long. And if there's a thing that I'm concerned Nick Nurse won't change, it is that. It's that Fred Van Vliet is always going to kind of be the captain of the second unit offense. And I don't think that should be the case. I think, you know, in an ideal world, you have Kawhi and Kyle Lowry, one of them on the floor at all times. I like that both of them played 42 minutes in that game. They, they should be playing that or more in pretty much all of these games against the Sixers, I would think. Um, and you, with that lineup they had late in the game where it was like Abaka, Powell, Fred, Jody Meeks, and, and Kawhi Leonard, 
like they didn't even have Kawhi running the offense late in the, late in the fourth quarter. Like the way or the third quarter, sorry. You know the way that you mitigate having Fred VanVleet out there. You know the way that you mitigate having those like less talented players out there is just having Kawhi run things and you just kind of run it through him. And in fairness, the Sixers were sending all sorts of help his way. And when he was out there with that lineup, it was like he was just being swarmed by three dudes. And this, the Raptors just couldn't take advantage of that. Fred VanVleet has to be able to take care of that. You know Jody Meeks has to make those plays to find the open shooter in the corner and if they're not able to do that they shouldn't be playing like they just they should not be playing i don't think jody meek should be playing again in this series i would much rather see patrick mccaw get those minutes because at least he gives you something defensively obviously he's not much of a shooter or uh, you know just like a creative or, or threatening offensive player but he can handle the ball a little bit if they are gonna you know send extra help to kyle or Kawhi if they're playing with those bench heavy units then i think it's fine to you know throw mccaw out there and maybe have him be sort of a, a safety valve um, obviously not ideal, and I would, you'd rather just like have Danny Green play because this was the thing. Danny Green played with the bench at the end of the first quarter when the starters were out there for Philly, and they sort of withstood it. I guess it wasn't great or anything like that because nothing in the first half was. But the the like in that fourth third quarter situation when the Sixers starters were out there again. Why wouldn't you go to Danny Green there? He only played 32 minutes in this game, and I get it. He was not very good. He had a really rough game shooting. Um, lost J.J. Redick a few times as well and didn't get burned maybe the to the extent that he should have. But I, yeah, the, the the sticking in of Jody Meeks for minute 30 was just really rough. He was a minus four in those minutes. And I'm not saying the Raptors would have won those minutes had it been Danny Green, but you maybe don't lose those minutes minus four. And you don't have those obvious turnovers, that obvious brick three by, by Jody Meeks that you just can't expect him to make because he's just barely playing. Like, I don't know. It's almost like he's in that Norm Powell unfortunate role from last year where he'd come in and play like a minute 30 at the end of the second quarter. If he didn't perform well, he just never got a chance to go back in. And in this case, it it seems like Meeks is not even getting a chance to go back in even if he does perform well because it's just not part of what the pattern is. So I don't know why you can't just give that minute 30 to Danny Green or just anybody else, really. It it doesn't have to go to that guy. You don't need to go nine deep in your rotation. Um, And obviously this is is all hurt by the fact that OG Ananobi's not back and there's still no word on when he's coming back. And if he were there, it might make these rotation questions a little bit easier to manage. But for the time being, you know, Nurse really has to sort of figure things out. And what he may want to do is he may want to go and hire someone to manage his rotations for him. Maybe he works on the plays. He sort of, you know, draws up the the out-of-bounds and and out-of-timeouts plays and all that stuff. Maybe he hires someone as his personal uh, rotation man. I, I don't know if that's a position you can have within a team, but maybe he can. And if he wants to find someone to do that, he should go on ZipRecruiter. Ha-ha! Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you can only ha- and you only have to go one place to get it done, and that is ZipRecruiter.com. And we have a special site set up for the Locked On Podcast Network. If you're going to ZipRecruiter.com, add in a slash Locked On, and you will uh, be offered many nice things. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply for your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so 
so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the very first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at that exclusive web address I said, ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way, way to hire. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Okay, let's get into some of the good stuff, because this was as doom and gloom as it seemed off the top of this podcast. There's a reason I led with the bad stuff, because there is some stuff here to sort of perk up your mood based on how the Raptors played in this game. Um, First of all, I guess, I mean, this was an insane outlier game shooting-wise for the Raptors. They have not shot this poorly in a very, very long time. Quite literally, this is the worst three-point shooting game they've had of the Marcus Saul era. They haven't shot uh, below the 27-point-whatever percent it was that they shot last night, 10-37 to from three, 27% even, actually. The worst three-point shooting night they've had since January 31st against the Bucks, where they were about 25%, and we all know what happened in that game. And it's the only time they've been sub-30% since May 11th against the Cavs. That game sucked a lot of ass, but, um, of course, you know, they're going to have outlier games. That's what happens. But the Raptors are still a fantastic three-point shooting team. All these guys can hit their threes. Kyle Lowry hitting those two big balls threes late in the game. Like, that was just—that's kind of a, a, a restoration of the mean, right? It's just like, okay— that dude can hit his threes, and he missed his first four, knocked those two down, and everything's kind of right in the world. Danny Green's not going to go one of six all the time. He's not going to go, you know, I'm not sure of the exact numbers and how many were wide open, but it felt like most of his threes were pretty wide open, and the, especially the one that happened late in the game in crunch time when the Raptors scrambled for the ball. Kyle Lowry tried to nutmeg Tobias Harris, which... Let's stop here for a sec, and I'll get back to the actual analysis in a second. I've seen some takes out there that Kyle Lowry trying to nutmeg Tobias Harris is like was a bad idea. Fuck that. It's cool as hell. Kyle Lowry trying to nutmeg a dude in crunch time is like the coolest, most Kyle Lowry shit I've ever seen. And if you have a problem with that, you are like a joyless wretch who does not like cool things in basketball. Ultimately, it ended up working out fine because there was the the scramble that went after it went off of Tobias Harris's leg. And the Raptors got a really nice look out of it. And, you know, it was Danny Green, wide open for three on the wing. Like, what more do you want to tie the game? And he just missed it. And, you know, Danny Green's not going to go one of six all the time. He's been really rough in these playoffs, and I wonder if that thumb injury or whatever it was, the hand injury he picked up late in the season is 
is bothering him. I think it's on his non-shooting hand, if I'm not mistaken, but I, I don't really remember because it hasn't been talked about at all. Um, but, like, you know, th- he's not been good. Marcus has got to fire away a little bit more often. He had a few times last night where it came to him and there was no one guarding him because they're really leaving him out on the perimeter there and he just refused to shoot it. And he's got to be more active there. You know, Nick Nurse talked before the game about Gasol and how he's just like this brilliant passer and he's accepted sort of a, a lesser role, a winning role was how he put it on the team. And, you know, he's just got to fire away, man. He's a good three-point shooter. He's got nice touch. I feel confident when he puts it up. He was one of four in game two, and I don't think that's going to continue. Pascal Siakam, you know, his shooting remains something that, while I feel pretty good about it, it you know, th- there's still, like, an, an element of, I guess, trepidation as to whether or not he actually is a 36, 37, 37% three-point shooter. And last night, you saw why there's some trepidation and why teams are probably going to challenge him as the playoffs go on here. You know, he was 2 of 7 and, you know, again, he hit that insane 3 late. He had a pretty nice game overall with 21, 7, and 3, minus the 9 of 25 from the field, a lot of which was on those weird contested floaters that I mentioned. He had 4 steals. He had a block. I thought he really sort of rounded out. He had some great hustle plays late in the game, too, to kind of keep things alive. Um, You know, I I thought Siakam, outside of the inefficient shooting night, which he's going to have, I guess, once every 4 months or something. Um, you know, I thought it was a pretty decent game from him, all told. Um, and yeah, I thought he responded well. So that was a nice thing too. But I guess the the thing I'm trying to say in a roundabout way here is the three-point shooting is not always going to be that bad. Brett Brown has spoken as though he's terrified of the Raptors' three-point shooting. He has mentioned... I think three or four times, maybe as many as five or six in his three or four press conferences before and after games so far, that the Raptors are the best three-point shooting team since the trade deadline, since the Marcus Gasol trade, and that's that makes it scary. That makes them hard to guard. That makes it really difficult to send extra help, you know, Kawhi's way because you're you're always swinging it, and it's always going to end up in the hands of someone who can shoot threes. And if he's open, that's going to be bad for you, and that's not an outcome you want. And, you know, the Sixers, I think, are going to have to try to find that balance. And the Raptors got a lot of open three-point looks in this game. I think Brett, uh, Bruce Arthur tweeted out the stat. They were 19 of 54 on wide-open looks in game number uh, in game two. That's 54 of 91 looks that are wide open. That's a pretty good uh, sort of rate at which you're creating good looks. Um, and especially in, like, a slow sort of grimy half-court game like it was, they were getting some good stuff. And the process has always been the thing that you value over the results. And obviously in the playoffs, you know, the make-or-miss shit kind of runs dry and it gets stale as a, as a reason why a team loses. And, you know, Dwayne Casey, you know, was sure to see to that that people will never want to hear that ever again. But that, that's what happens. And I still think the, you know, it's a long series. They, they're down, you know, they, they lost the game. Obviously that sucks, but... You would think over the course of the series, their three-point shooting would correct, and it's been good enough for long enough now. I'm not, and I'm not sure the Sixers are doing quite enough to challenge those three-point looks that um, you know that, that, that it's going to be a problem. And they're going to the right guys, like Danny Green with six, Kawhi with ten. Um, although Kawhi had a lot of pretty contested off-the-bounce ones, he still hit a couple off-the-bounce too. One right around a screen where he kind of where Jimmy Butler got caught on the screen. I thought it was a really, really sort of like Kyle Lowry-esque setup from from Kawhi where he pulled up for that three early on in the first half, I think it was. Um, you know, there was a lot of good in sort of the three-point shooting spectrum that the Raptors had in this game. Just, you know, they, they didn't fall, and that's disappointing. And honestly, if you're the Sixers, you're probably just, like, breathing a huge sigh of relief that you won this game because, my God, the Raptors had, like, one of the worst offensive games they've had all season long, particularly in the first half. The first half might be the worst offensive, they've, the offensive half they've played this season, bar none. Like, it was disgusting. It was brutal. 
and the Sixers barely won. They won by five as the Raptors made it as a real made a real charge late in the game. And that was one of those games where if the game's two minutes longer, I think the Raptors probably win it. They really had sort of the tide in their favor, and they were creating good looks, and their defense was smothering. And that leads me into the other good thing about this game is that we're eight quarters into this series now, and the Sixers have not shown once that they can really create good looks against the Raptors in the half court. This is sort of the the great imbalance of this series, right? Is the Raptors on defense have five guys who are not liabilities. And the Sixers are always going to have someone who's a liability out there. Even the Raptors bench guys. I thought Norm Powell, while he was a minus 17 in this game, played some pretty solid on-ball defense. I thought he was effective. Um, He had a really beautiful fake pass in three as well, which was one of the highlights of the game. Um, And like Abaka is doing what he can out there defensively. And he's, you know, kind of getting beaten up on the boards, which is bad. But, um, you know, I think he's been passable. And so I just kind of think the Raptors throw up more guys who are good defenders. And it's going to be a challenge all all series long for the Sixers to create in half court. And none of their guys really had amazing shooting nights outside of um, like Butler was 9 of 22. He had 4 of 10 from deep, which was rough. He got to the line a bunch. He was a he had 30 points on 22 possessions. That's uh, 22 shots. Um, I think it's 27 possessions for him. Like, that's pretty good. Um, but, you know, there was Tobias Harris going 3 of 11. He's been kind of neutralized in this series. And B going 2 of 7, he's clearly not right. He's clearly not 100%. And uh, maybe he'll have a big game or two in this series. But, even with the way Abak is defending him, the extra help they're sending his way, it's been a problem for him. And credit to him, he had five assists. He also had six turnovers last night, and he's not been very good. Uh, J.J. Redick, outside of one quarter, really, where he kind of got hot in the third quarter of game one, has been pretty quiet in this series. Ben Simmons didn't even find any offense yesterday. He was just three of six. He only had six points, um, and he had four turnovers to five assists. Like They're playing a pretty reckless style, the Sixers are, and the Raptors are turning them over, and you would think that's going to eventually benefit the Raptors, and they're going to turn that into a shit ton of points because they are so deadly in transition. And you you just hear the sort of the quivering fear in the voice of Brett Brown when he talks about it. Like He's not thrilled about the idea of, of playing... Uh, the, the style that they're playing where they're turning the ball over a ton and giving the Raptors a ton of chances because the Raptors are so good when they're running on you. Um, there's also the, the problem of the backup center spot for the Sixers, which I'm not sure is going to really be solved in this series. Jonah Bolden had a fine game, I suppose. He played nine minutes. He had one of three. He had a big three late in the game um, that, you know, credit to him for hitting it, but he was not particularly good in this game and he's not like a scary backup center option. Um, and really, like Greg Monroe killing you, he was 4-7. He left the game with an ankle thing um he had 10 points and five boards i wouldn't expect that's going to continue where greg monroe is going to be this like savior off the bench and you know they played amir johnson and Bobon at center in this game too they played five different centers in this game and b just played 32 minutes I think if the Raptors can adjust their rotation, and it doesn't feel like it's that hard to do because the Sixers do it. They have eight guys that they run out there pretty regularly, maybe even fewer than that, and they still manage to have all their guys on the court for 30-plus minutes, and no one gets too tired, and you know they, they, they seem to manage it pretty well. And the Raptors should be able to do that too if they're matching Gasol and Embiid. And I do think that you know when you put a Baca out there against a Bolden or a Boban or, or an Amir Johnson, if they're going to play, that is only going to lift up those minutes as well. That's that's kind of the trade-off, right? Is even if Gasol, whoever he's playing against, is going to be successful, you you want to give a Baca the best chance to succeed too. And, and if even if he's doing okay defensively against Embiid, he's not going to have success offensively out there. Just you know he's. 
it's just not working. And so give them the chance to beat up on a, on a Bolton or a Bolden or, or an Amir Johnson, whoever's going to be the backup center if, if Monroe is out for any extended time here, or give them time to beat up on Greg Monroe too. Greg Monroe, we know this is not good. Um, he had a good game. That Credit to him. And I'm sure Katie Heindel is over the moon right now, but he's not a good player. And there's a reason the Raptors were very okay to cup eight with him. And if you remember back when he was on the Raptors, think about how exhausting it was watching him play for the Raptors. He'd have some nice flourishes here and there, but that's not a guy I'm counting on for an entire series for 10, 12 minutes a game as a backup center if I'm Rep Brown, or it's not someone I'm thrilled about, but he might just have to because there's no other good players on this team. Um, so that my whole point is that the Raptors have more in terms of like defensive stoutness and fewer holes to pick at, and we've seen it through eight quarters that the Sixers can't score on them. They had 94 points. They were 30-76 tonight. Um, the Raptors taking 15 more shots and losing this game is kind of a nightmare, obviously. But again, it's a it's a real um, sort of lucky stroke for the Sixers that they were so bad. And the Sixers themselves were not very good in this game either. They were 10-35 from deep. They shot 29%. And maybe there's some room for them to improve there. But I would say the, the, the regression back to the mean is going to be way more pronounced for the Raptors just because A, they're a better three-point shooting team, and B, because they they're even though it's harder with the new matchups that the Sixers have thrown out there, I think there are ways the Raptors can kind of pick them apart, and maybe that's what we can get to in the final part of the podcast where we look at some solutions to what went wrong in Game 2. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. And we're back. So like I said before the break, um, the, the the Raptors have more places they can attack the Sixers. Assuming both of these teams are going to have their best five out there um, more often than not because they're very good and because, you know, those, those, those are the only five good players on each team, apparently. Um, you know, it, it does... It, the Raptors still have the edge there. There's not a race by one game, even though the Sixers really sort of changed up what they were doing. I think there are some things the Raptors can do to try to, you know, even the scales a little bit. Mostly, I think it's just like, do whatever you can to, to attack Tobias Harris. He is not a very good defender, has not been a good defender in this series. And now, with him guarding Gasol, there is sort of a way there, I think, to sort of pick on him. The Sixers have switched quite a bit in this series, and I think if you want to use sort of the, the thing that's been very successful for the Raptors for a long time now, ever since the trade, is Gasol, Kawhi. Run those two together, pick and rolls, whatever, all the time, because it's always successful. And with Harris guarding Gasol, that's something you can exploit there. That is something that you're going to have Simmons on, on Kawhi and Harris on Gasol. Like, have Gasol screen for Kawhi all the time. Simmons is not a guy who's going to run through screens particularly well because he's huge, and Gasol's probably going to clip him a little bit. And if you're going to force switches there, Harris on Kawhi is pretty much the exact thing you want. I know the Raptors have tried to do some stuff where they like post up Danny Green on JJ Redick. That's not the matchup hunting you should be doing. Um, and maybe there's some like Danny Green screening for Kawhi stuff you can do as well. And this is like kind of an abandonment from what the Raptors have done all season. They're not a high pick and roll team, but in this series, like you got to hunt the right matchups. And I think Kawhi sort of 
going at Harris anytime you can through Gasol's screens because Gasol is such a good screener, I think that is going to make a lot of sense. I think that's going to work. Um, you know, it's going to leave Gasol open for a lot of those wing threes that Kawhi's been pretty good at finding him for, less so in game two, but in game one, I thought he was really good at it. And, you know, again, the Sixers are going to let you know, Gasol shoot threes, and, and maybe you're inviting too much length to try to throw two bodies at Kawhi, but ultimately, I think the, the Sixers throwing two bodies at Kawhi is going to work out for the Raptors in, in the long haul. You know, the, we've seen this, we saw when the Magic tried to do it against Kawhi, and obviously the Magic are not the Sixers, but they were a really good defensive team, and still, they send two guys to Kawhi, it's swinging over to Siakam in the corner, and he's either driving or he's hitting a three. Um, there's just a lot of guys on the team who can make plays out of those four-on-three situations, so if you're trying to tie up Simmons and, and Harris and, and force them to trap Kawhi, I think that's a win, ultimately, if Kawhi can make those reads. And he had a good good playmaking game in Game 2. He had six assists um, and was really good at finding the next guy. Um, you know, So that's cool. If they're going to switch and just have Harris guard Kawhi, that's also a win. You can go ISO and you can kind of rockets it up a little bit. And I think they can milk some pretty good possessions out of that. Um, I, I guess the other stuff, too, is you like Siakam on Embiid. That's tricky, right? And Siakam's got to try to find that balance a little bit and not sort of get get scared by Embiid's presence there and either just go at him, try to go him into fouls. And, and you know, Siakam's really good at getting to the line. And Embiid's been a little reckless with his fouling in this series so far. Um, I think, what, he had like four personal fouls in game two? He had three personal fouls in game two. Um, like, if you can just go at him, like, he's not... 100% mobile right now, and Siakam is anything, like, that dude is always 100% mobile, and so maybe there's something you can exploit there. Maybe you can sort of draw from that first possession where, you know, they kind of cleared out for Siakam, and he just went one-on-one against Embiid, and there were no extra hands in there. He was just able to sort of use his craftiness as, as a scorer around Embiid and sort of get him off his balance, and it got him an easy bucket. And I think there's some room there for that. And I think Siakam's good enough. He, he, he learns. He kind of picks up new stuff along the way. He's like a supercomputer that he just learns from every mistake. I think there's, you know, something to sort of be gleaned from that Siakam-Embiid matchup. I don't think it has to be just like Siakam's out of the series now. Um, you know, he's got to hit his threes, obviously, because they're going to give that up because Embiid is not very quick to get out to the perimeter. Um, maybe there's some screening stuff you can do where you have Siakam screen for Kawhi or Kyle and you can kind of use... Embiid's lack of mobility against him. Maybe you can get some pull-up threes out of that from either Kawhi or Kyle. They might have to become more of a pick-and-roll team in this series than they have been, um, but I think they can do it. And, and also, I guess, the rotation thing, right? That's the other thing to improve and, and to fix, and that feels like the easy fix. It's just get rid of the Meeks minutes, get rid of the, the as much as you can the Ibaka against Embiid minutes because Embiid, again, is playing like 30 minutes a game. You can match those. Gasol played in this game, uh, in game two. What did he play? He played 34 minutes. Like he can, he's not like he has to play 28 minutes a game. He's not this old withered man who can't play that many minutes in a, in a playoff series where there's days off in between. He's capable of doing it, so do it because the Raptors are just so much better when he's on the floor. They were plus seven with him on the floor last night. They were plus 14 with Danny Green out there. Just have the good players on the court as much as you can, um, and, and like those two, even with Danny Green having a rough night, he was still plus plus 14. Because he just changes everything. He's good at defense. He's good in transition. He, you know, makes defenses think about sending help off of him. He's obviously not something the Sixers like. So the Sixers aren't going to stop guarding him and having their their defenders be attentive to him because he had one bad game. Have those guys play more. Like it's just it's just how it works in the playoffs. And Nurse, I think, has gotten a little bit too cute. You don't need 18 Fred VanVleet minutes in this series. You don't need 15 Norm Powell minutes. I think you know the way the Sixers ran things. They had you know Ben Simmons played 44. 
didn't come out until like 15 minutes into the into the game for the first time. Butler played 43. Um, like scale those minutes up. You could afford to do it, and your players are good enough that it's worth doing it. I think and worth the trade off. And so. This is where Nick Nurse is going to be tested, man. It's not going to be uh, an easy series. Because, and I predicted other Raptors in five because I think they're more talented and, and sort of better across the board and more equipped for a playoff series. But I do think it's you know it's going to be a grindy, a grimy sort of slug it out type of series where the Raptors just kind of have the marginal edges that win the most of these games. They almost did it last night, and it was really impressive to watch them come back. And I guess a note on that comeback late in the game. I thought it was like really impressive the way the Raptors just like did the thing where they lock in on defense, defense, and it's like, oh yeah, no, you're not scoring on us for half a quarter now, and it was it was bloody impressive. It was cool to watch. It's thrilling when they're doing that. It's just like holy shit, they're just waves of defense, and um, they 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 were able to turn it into a really nice run late in the game, and the Sixers were shaking in their boots, and Sixers fans I'm sure were shaking in their boots as the Raptors were kind of bearing down, and they didn't have enough time to get it done, and obviously they missed the three at the end, and some big shot making from Butler and Embiid as well um, but you know the, I, I like the way the Raptors stack up if this gets to close games late in the game I think the Raptors have the horses they have the shot creation ability and they have the the, the noted lack of defensive liabilities that's going to behoove them late in these close games they just got to do a better job of making sure they're not falling into holes that are too deep to get out of. And that that happens when you put out Jody Meeks for a minute and a half late in the third quarter. That happens when you run your bench unit way too long and you're waiting, you know, the thing that Nurse has gotten me with and it's kind of annoyed me is if like it's too long before um, a whistle when he's got someone ready to check in, just call the timeout, man. Just fucking do it and get a guy in because those minutes can really kill you if you're waiting an extra three or four possessions longer than you want to get a guy in. Just do it. And, you know, what? I think the way he's used his best guys in this series is scaling up. That's good. Glad to see it. But just continue to do it, man. Just, just, just stop with the... The, the really cute multi-guy bench units. They, sh- they should be not playing more than really two of these bench guys at the same time. Ibaka, Powell, Van Vliet together, it's just not working as a three-man duo. There's just not enough um, in terms of creation, no matter who they're playing with. So I, I think Nurse has to revisit that a little bit too. The Sixers can do it. Once again, there- there's a model for this. There's a model for having three of your good guys on the court all at the same time the entire game. And the Sixers have done it pretty well all year. Maybe the Raptors steal a little bit from that playbook and throw it back at the Sixers' faces and just stop giving these little pockets of opportunity that, you know, in game one, the Sixers did not take advantage of because for, for reasons, whatever, they were bad, they were off shooting, Embiid was not particularly good or spry, um, but eventually those are going to come to kill you. If you give them the opportunity to kill you for four or five minutes with a bad lineup out there, eventually that's going to come back around and bite you in the ass. And, you know, the Raptors have done it to the Sixers as well. When the Sixers put bad lineups out there, you know, at one point in this game, Philly put out a um, a lineup with like Bolden and Boban and uh, James Ennis and a couple starters, and the Raptors went on a run. That like this is what this series is about. I said it after Game One. It's going to be about which teams can press the advantage when those opportunities arise, where there there's just like noted lacks of talent or noted holes in whatever lineups on the court. And the Raptors, I think, are giving too many of those windows to the Sixers so far, and you got to limit those. They're going to happen. It's just no one's going to play 48 minutes across the board, but like you have to sort of manage those windows and make them as small as possible and make them as hard as possible for the Sixers to exploit with who's on the court against them, right? And so that's where Nurse has to really prove it here, man. I like what Nurse has done. I think Nurse is a good coach. I think he's done a pretty good job all season, and maybe the hate is a little bit too insane because it's the easy thing to pick, to pick apart when you're breaking breaking down games and you're like watching games on the internet and you're freaking out. 
Coaching is the one thing that you can pinpoint, and I think Nurse has done a pretty good job by and large, but the real test comes in Game 3. Can he change things up? Because Brett Brown changed things up drastically going into Game 2, and he deserves a ton of credit for that. The Raptors have got to figure it out, and, and Nick Nurse has to really sort of take a look at what he's done through the first two games and and not just rely on it working, because it might, and maybe he's, he stays the same and you get the same result as Game 1 and everything's happy, but... Um, I would not be counting on that. And I would be really, really taking a long look in the mirror and, and sort of the whole thing with Nurse. Like Again, like I said at the top, this is a guy who was branded as like a, a, a guy who's going to be experimental, not get stuck in the same old ways. Try something new, man. Like just, just try something new. Don't get stuck in the same rotation patterns. Don't pull the Casey. And then we won't have to do the, the Casey comparisons anymore. We'll be talking about a guy who actually, you know, tried to make switches and changes and alterations that, um, you know, positively affected the Raptors' chances of winning. Anyway, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for tuning in uh, to today's episode. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for sponsoring. Please subscribe, rate, review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. And uh, we'll be back again, I think, with a podcast on Wednesday. We'll have a vec on and we'll sort of talk a little bit more about Game 2, tee up Game 3, and, uh, you know, wallow in the pain, I guess, of losing Game 2. It sucks that they're going back to Philly tied at one and they've lost home court advantage, but um, I don't know. I still feel pretty good about the series overall. I think the the projections still feel very good about the Raptors too. And, you know, if, even if you pick the Raptors in five or six, they got to lose some games. Like, that's just how it happens. Like, they're, they're going to lose games. And they lost a game in which most things went wrong by five points last night. And that is uh, pretty good for them. And so... Uh, hopefully they can respond and get those margins back to where they need to be and win game three. Who knows? We'll talk about it then on, on Thursday, though. We'll do an episode after the game Thursday night, and then we'll, again, like I said, Wednesday with Vivek, we'll kind of tee up game three a little bit more in depth. We'll get his thoughts on game two, and uh, that'll be it. I'm also going to have a Patreon mailbag podcast coming out on Wednesday. It's been a while since I've been able to have the time to do one of those, but if you want to subscribe to the Patreon page, please do. Two bucks gets you a couple podcasts a month. You get all the mailbag episodes. Uh, five bucks gets you everything else. Um, admittedly, with the playoffs going on and just like life being insanely busy the last little while, the podcast schedule has been a little bit less than I want it to be, but once the offseason really kicks in, that'll be something I'm just spending a ton of time doing. Um, so two, two or five bucks at patreon.com slash Sean Woodley Raptors if you want to chip in there. That'd be cool. And uh, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to my droning voice go for 40-something minutes. Uh, we'll talk to you next time with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly. An AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 